0: I'm good morning, good morning heart and soul. Good to see you. (laughs) How good it is to see all of you. Join me as we take another moment and give some more love to the ensemble. They were just marvelous. (laughs) Strength, courage, and wisdom. Mm -hmm. Something for us to deeply consider. As we're here today to honor women's history, I usually like to start with an opening prayer. And so I invite you to come with me now as we take a moment and go within. For I open to knowing the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, are acceptable in the sight of the living spirit. And today I've come to sing a new song. For spirit is marvelous. So I know that there is something that is being guiding me to connect with questions that may be in the hearts of some of you. That enable something to come through me that I didn't anticipate. But I know it's the answer to the prayer to the contemplation, to the question that you've been raising in your own soul. Today I come giving thanks that I know the outcome of this talk is not only meaningful to me and greater insights into my life and my spiritual unfolding, but it hits a chord with someone who is in this room, hears this message on... Zoom or otherwise. And we know that triumphant expressions of the living spirit are moving themselves through each one of us right here and right now. Blessed be. Blessed be. Today we are honoring women's history and I so love the video that went by with all the different images of people that I've known and heard about and some, one few or so that I didn't know. So there's always room for all of us to grow. I wanna start honoring the divine feminine as has shown up in some that you've heard about. But I not only invite you to see how they express the divine feminine, but what they have to say about your life today. What something that they did, something that they said, some action that they took can make a difference in questions that you may have even not thought to raise. But as I raise them, they come to you as potential answers to something that wants to flow its magnificent into and as your life this day. So today I want to talk, start out talking about one of three that most of you have heard of. But I want to talk about the Virgin, the Virgin Mary and to see what her activity may impress upon your mind, your heart, and your very being and your life or when I was a little girl attending St. Paul AME Church, not too far away from here. That church, by the way, was founded in my grandparents' home, so I want to always say that because it feels like we grew up together, <laughs> me and St. Paul <laughs> and my sister. But as a little girl, I remember hearing about the divine feminine as in the story of Jesus' birth the story written in the book of Matthew, the first chapter 18 through 25th verse, and also the story that is found in Luke, the first chapter, the 26th to 38th verse. I recall hearing the beauty and seeming magic that this young teen, Mary, went through with the power of the Holy Spirit giving birth to Jesus and without sexual intercourse with his father, Joseph. I remember as a very young girl, I was nothing but enamored by the story and believed every word of it as it is printed. Oh, the time came when I was a teenager. (laughs) And as a teenager, something different began to happen to me. I began raising questions like, how could this be? And how did this happen, you know? I didn't get immediate answers at that particular time because I didn't know how to even phrase the question to ask one of the Sunday school teachers that we had. (laughs) They weren't talking about it from the standpoint of how could this be because they had a firm belief that it was. And so it was not until I actually started taking Science of Mind classes that I began to recognize that there was some process imaged by that symbol that's on the wall over there that helps us to understand something about the way that the universal medium, we call the soul, has been called the womb of nature because it is receptive to the spirit and to be impregnated with divine ideas. Listen to that, impregnated with divine ideas. It gives birth to the ideas of the spirit and is the feminine principle of nature. We're talking today about women's history. And so therefore we're talking about the feminine nature right now that is within each one of us, regardless of how we identify our gender. We're talking about something that is very powerful that is enacted in your life, in my life, every day. But it was when I was in ministerial school and we were required to read some aspects of the metaphysical Bible dictionary that I saw Reverend Andrietta or somebody had in that little room right here. And I said to myself, hmm, let me see what it has to say. And here they talked about the principle of science of mind, or unity, or new thought teaches immaculate conception. Spirit, also known as the masculine energy, impregnating the receptive soul, also known as the feminine energy, and comes into fruition. Sometimes with our own active thought, and sometimes when we haven't thought about it at all, whatever it is. And so that began to help me to begin to answer the question that was lingering within me. How could this be? I know I had witnessed other experiences, but what I want to tell you is something that happened to me first two years ago and then a few years earlier, because I began to recognize, could this be an example, Could this be a way in which the divine opens, comes into our own lives and flows itself as us without our conscious awareness? And let me tell you what happened to my youngest son. I remember that someone had called and told me that there was some sickness that he had. But somehow, instead of knowing and using what I had been taught in the Science of Mind classes, I was just too overwhelmed to know exactly what I should pray for and what is the truth I should declare. I just went to my bed and laid down on it and put the cover over my head and stayed there. Have you ever had that experience where you say, I don't even know how to pray for whatever it is, even though I've had some training? And so what I began to do is just stay there. I guess it was in the middle of the night that I thought I was sitting on the edge of my bed, but saw myself standing in the middle of the bed with flames vibrating through my whole body and all around my whole body. And I was just in awe, and I sat there with my mouth wide open and just stared at it because it was me staring at me with vibrant flames of light flowing as me for I don't know how long. But all I know, and that's the way I felt, just like you disbehaved. <laughs> all night long, I went through observing that image of myself. And when I finally came to myself, I sat on the bed, my purse was right beside the bed, And I found myself picking up my purse, no talk inside of my head about what I was doing, picking up my purse, pulling out my wallet, and I start writing a check, and something in me said, well, what are we doing here? And the other part of me says, go do what you're guided to do. So I didn't try to find an answer to that question. I just sat there, and then all of a sudden, I found myself writing a number on the check to that son. That Thanksgiving day, I took that check. I never told my son how it came about or why he was getting it. I just said, here. And he never asked me. That was what was interesting. (laughs) He never asked me, why are you giving this to me, Mom? He just took it. (laughs) So maybe it was an answer to his prayer, but I didn't even know. I just, I never said this is model I'm giving you and all this is what happened beforehand. I just handed it to him. We have yet two and a half years later to have any conversation about that experience. None. I didn't raise it, he didn't raise it. It was in divine order as far as I'm concerned. But I ask you, could that have been an immaculate conception? Could that have been an experience where I didn't go to sleep or lay on my bed saying, oh, spirit, give me all the money that I need to be able to give a check. To. I never even thought about a check. I just want you to know that I have come to believe that you and I have immaculate conceptions once we begin to open our minds and our hearts to that possibility of something that exists within us and that we are the, the divine history of the feminine energy. And I'm talking about any one of us that is sitting in this room because all of us have that feminine energy within us. Are you hearing me? Yes. But I want to elaborate on another experience I had many years earlier that I didn't know what to label it until the time I was working on this talk for this group. (laughs) And I said, I think I'd call it that too. But this is what happened. I I belonged to a group that was called the Pan Oaks Multicultural, Multiethnic, Multigenerational Community. I remember that one of the people in the group was named uh, Michael Lang. Some of you probably know him or knew him. And um, there were many others of different ethnic groups in the Oakland community in this group. I just joined the group because I was very interested in diversity and 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 making sure that we were working in harmony with one another. And so I became a part of that group. And as Michael Langs and his brother Ted Langs are the the boat you know the love boat they were going to put on the play at the Oakland auditorium and it was going to be free during the day to uh, middle school and high school students in Oakland and others of the community would come in the evening i remember selling about 700 tickets 700 dollars of tickets to people at East Bay Church because i at that time was over the youth and family program and and Reverend Eloise was willing for Ted Langs to come and make an announcement to the community. You remember that? (laughs) And so I was excited about this whole experience until someone said something about, well, we could have some people who play music play as the adults are coming in. And the part of me that's an artist began to say, we often have music, and I love music. We often have music come, but I was trained as an artist, a graphic artist, and I wanted to know, couldn't we have somebody paint something and, and bring it? So I told the group, I'm gonna go over to Oakland High School, see if we can get a couple of their students to come in and hear Jeff Stetson's play on the meeting, uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And I went over there and acted like I thought I ought to do this and just handed this to this. I said, I want the principal to read this right now. (laughs) As as if he had nothing else to do. (laughs) And I said, I just want two students. So talk to your art department, because I knew some of the people that were in the art department. And I said, will you just ask them if they could do this work? And I had a whole formal written letter that I put together And I handed it to them, and he said he'll get back to me in a couple of days. Well, he got back to me. And this I also call an immaculate conception, because I want you to know that after the art teacher, after the social studies um, English teacher saw the letter, they made a decision that, rather than two people, We ought to come and put on a performance for the kids, so we ended up with 200 children. In the Oakland High School Auditorium, Ted Langs and one of the members of East Bay whose name momentarily loses me, Victor Mayo, they came and worked on the play in front of the students for about 15 minutes, and then I did a diversity workshop with the students for another hour and a half where they were talking about the the relationship between the Asian, white, and black children, or young adults, or teenagers, we'll call them, in that particular community. And they chatted with one another openly. I was pleased to hear the questions that they asked me and one another. And then they asked questions of Victor Mayo and uh, Michael Lange about the play. Then, We had to give them about five of the videotapes from PBS of the meeting, which is a PBS story. And they listened to it for about two months, all of November, all of December. We were working on having this performance taking place on the first celebration of Martin Luther King's birthday. So they got it together. The thing that was the immaculate conception as far as I'm concerned, I asked for two. They gave me 95 student works I had, and there were too many for us to put up in the auditorium for the performance, so we ended up having to find another venue, and it just happened that my kid's father was running the Oakland Africa Sister City at Moss House, and he allowed us to use that moss house for about three months. And the kids from Oakland High came over and put up the, um, the artworks. I was thrilled. And children from even San Francisco could come over and see their works, their renditions of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Now you'll say, well, you went all away from women's history and you got into something else, Francione. But what I'm telling you We're talking today about the immaculate conception that was in me that transcended my request and said, there's more to be displayed here, and there's more to come out of these students at Oakland High School. Go this way. And all I said was yes. And only now do I look back and think, that was an immaculate conception. Wouldn't you think so? Because I want us to believe that there are things that happen in our life that we didn't ask for. That we didn't consciously say, this is what I want, and therefore the universal present gives it back to me as I open and expand my consciousness, become the greater self that I know to be. Spirit just said, here, take this. And so we had an awesome experience. Even a reception at the Moss House for then mayor Jean Kwan came and talked to the group and the students that were present and the faculty members and their parents about the power of this work that the students had done that was stunning. I am opening the possibility for you to walk away from here today, trying to discover what are the immaculate conceptions that have come to and through me that I have not been consciously aware of, but now that Francione said, it's happened to her, she's made this label for it, and could it be also something that's been going on in my life already that I hadn't considered? Or is it coming right now? Point for consideration. Going into the second person, I know you know this person very well because even when I visited Heart and Soul, Many years ago, I remember that wonderful painting on the wall that Reverend Andriette had of Harriet Tubman. And I remember thinking, I'm interested in the fact that Reverend Andriette and I have fallen in love with the same woman. <laughs> but I want to tell you what happened to me related to Harriet Tubman. but. I know most of you know her story, but I want to remind you of some highlights before I go back to how that story had impacted my life. You'll remember that Araminta Ross, born in 1820, was also the name that was the the given name to Harriet Tubman. And that she took her mother's first name, Harriet, At about age five, she was first hired out to work and immediately served as a nursemaid and later as a field hand, a cook and a woodcutter. When she was about 12 years old, a field hand got upset with her because he wanted her to help him punish somebody and she said she wouldn't do it. So he threw an iron something at her head, a big block that actually gave her a sleeping sickness as well as a severe Challenge to her thinking so that her, her 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 brain rather so that she would have times when she would black out That she would be able That needed to have a lot of convalescing activity take place and during her period of convalescing I was told in one of the many books that I read about her that her father decided this child gonna run away again So let me take some time and help her understand something about what nature is like, where the moon is at different times of day, where different plants come and go, so that all of her knowledge would help her when she ran away to be able to know the direction that she was going in because of of her wisdom by now of, of what had taken place. So she actually learned that information. She learned how to do other related things that her father could teach her to do so that at the time that she would run away, she would have the skill to be able to do it in a successful way. Tubman fled to Philadelphia, leaving behind her husband who refused to leave. He was a freed man. And then she also made her way to Baltimore. My understanding is that Tubman made about 19 journeys into Maryland and guided upwards of 300 people out of enslavement. So when I think of Harriet Tubman, I think of not only this woman who freed herself from enslavement, but also freed a minimum of 300 others, as well as many other wonderful works that she had done. As an abolitionist, she was one who Help to get started with the Underground Railroad, lots of wonderful things. But the reason that I thought I would mention this to you is that it's important for us to understand what is it like to really be free? What is it like to really be free? And I remember reading in our Science of Mind textbook on page 174, if you're one of those who likes to take notes. <laughs> the teacher and me will just pass it on, you don't have to take notes if you don't want to. But Ernest Holmes in our Science of Mind textbook, the 1938 edition, says, real freedom means humanity is created in the image of perfection. Created in the image of perfection, and let alone and allowed to make the discovery for self. So it's not like somebody comes along and says you're free. It's like you get to find out for yourself how freedom moves in through and as your life. And then he goes on to say, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We've all heard that quote. But I wanted to remind you of this because it seemed to me that during many experiences when I was in the school of ministry, writing stories about Harriet Tubman I began to understand something that needed to be known about my life. And I I wanna tell you that while Reverend Eloise, Reverend Mawata and I were in ministerial school together in um, San Jose, the leader of our school came back one day, he'd gone to Johannesburg and he announced to the class that he'd been talking to Reverend Harriet, let me think of her name, Gladys Harrison, excuse me, and Reverend Gladys Harrison said at that particular time, because apartheid was still going on in South Africa, that the black people in South Africa shouldn't be freed because they didn't know how to treat freedom. And so he came back and announced that to our class as if he believed the same thing. So at break time, Reverend Mawata, Reverend Francione, and Reverend Eloise went into our little corner and we were livid. Oh, no, he didn't say that. One said, I think we ought to leave this movement. And I said, because Reverend Eloise has also announced it a lot of times when she was still minister at East Bay Church. Reverend Francione said, no, we got to change it from within. And so... That was the declaration that we made and that we stayed through ministerial school with the idea there was something that we were supposed to do to make a difference in what happens in then the United Church of Religious Science, but now CSL, to make a difference so that nobody is living a life of oppression, distress, or without freedom. So that's the ground on which the next story that I want to tell you that's mine came forth. I was hired by Reverend Margaret Storch to be the assistant minister over youth and family at then the First Church of Religious Science, now the Oakland Center for Spiritual Living. And I had that job for several years. And during that period of time, I remember that we were taking a trip to Long Beach and while we were going to Long Beach, excuse me, I need to say just before we went to Long Beach, I remember driving across the San Rafael jo- uh, uh, Bridge to another job that I had in San Rafael and saying to myself, how is it that you are going to make the commitment that you were trying to make? Because I had students in my, we used to have Science of Mind two classes that were 30 weeks long. And so I had one of those classes at what was now the Oakland Center for Spiritual Living And I remember saying to the students, let us work on freeing ourselves to love someone that is hard to love so that we will be able to be the loving presence when we show up. So each student was to choose who that person would be. And I chose that person who told the information to the director of our school of ministry. I chose Reverend Gladys Harrison and I said, I think I need to learn to love Gladys Harrison, who was the minister of our church in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, because she's passing on misinformation as far as I was concerned, you know. So I tell you all this to say, after I raised the question of myself on the San Rafael Bids, like how are you gonna do this with Reverend Gladys? She's in Johannesburg and you're here in uh, the Bay Area. I love the way spirit turns our lives around in ways that we had no imagination so here's another wonderful story as far as i'm concerned reverend margaret her husband reverend victor and i traveled to long beach to our regional convention and the first morning of that convention who do they stand up and introduce to the congregation reverend gladys i said reverend gladys has come here to get me (laughs) But afterward, I knew it was a sign for me to go talk with Reverend Gladys and let her know we needed to talk. I didn't want to tell her I was hating her or what it was all about, because she probably wouldn't have wanted to talk then. All I did was say to her, is there a possibility that we could have breakfast together one day while you're here? And she said, how about tomorrow morning? I said, get out of here, God. (laughs) Reverend Gladys and I had breakfast for three hours. And as I tried to tell her about all the activity that was taking place at UC Berkeley and other places to get rid of apartheid, she was as convinced as she ever had been that some were not ready yet, and she told me all about the, uh, the tire bombs that people would be putting around other people's neck and all that kind of stuff. So she had her own stories. What I want to tell you because we're going back to that immaculate conception. Spirit had drawn me to Reverend Gladys and her to me so that we could begin chatting with one another. And we chatted, I said, for three hours. And then after we left the conference, she kept writing me and I wrote her back and she said, INTA is going to be meeting in Johannesburg this summer. Could you come and stay with me? So, you know, we were trying to create some kind of a, a wonderful bond. We learned to respect one another. We never agreed with one another. So, that may tell you something about love. Sometimes you don't have to agree, but maybe you have to learn to open your heart to the possibility of love. So, I would say that could be the end of the story if that was the end. But I just want you to know some more things happen. <laughs> Thank you, infinite spirit. That was about 1980-something, or maybe into 1990. But what I know is in 2003, I went on a tour to Mexico City with some of the people in our Uh, United Church of Religious Science, or it might have been the uh, Centers for Spiritual Living at that time, with Kathy Hearn, and many ministers and some other people all went on this trip to Mexico City, including Reverend Stephanie Clark. Some of you may know her or of her. I had never met her before. She kept kind of hanging around me, and she'd wear a lot of African dress and so forth, and so I wanted to know Why is this white woman wearing this African clothes? I just just want to say that. But, But she came and asked my permission. Is it all right with you if I wear these clothing? Because some African people or African American people get offended. And I said, it depends on why you're wearing it. And so when she told me why she's wearing it, it seemed very legitimate as far as my mind was concerned. So I said, do you, (laughs) you know? So that was basically what I told her. But it wasn't until we were there maybe about four or five days that we had a wonderful community meeting with a lot of members of the Science and Mind community that were living in Mexico and attending Reverend Pina's um, community. Reverend, they asked me to do the opening prayer, and I did. And then Reverend Stephanie got up and started telling her story. I want you to know I cried as I heard this story. Reverend Stephanie said that she had been living in Europe. Her mother had been living in South Africa. And then her mother said, why don't you come on here? And then her mother made a decision that she wanted to go back to Europe. But Reverend Stephanie came. She became a student of Reverend Harrison that I told you I was having some challenge with, or learned to respect and love in, in a way that didn't meet my needs, but somehow co- connected us. When Reverend Stephanie was telling her story, she was letting us know that she had become the minister of Reverend Gladys's church in Johannesburg. She'd gone through all the classes and become a minister. She was a minister there. She was working with the African members of that community as well as the uh, other members that were not African in that community. They had several different ethnic populations there. They were all working together to bring justice to the people in South Africa and tears just started (laughs) falling down my cheeks. I said, I'm sitting on the pulpit with several, and I couldn't contain myself. I walked down to the mic and I told the, uh, the MC, I think I need to say something about what she just said <laughs> to this community, and they gave me permission, so I did. And I began telling them about the experience that I had with Reverend Gladys, the fact that Reverend Gladys had just been, we were just learning was Reverend Stephanie's teacher, that Reverend Gladys had been doing some things, and I didn't ever talk about her negatively in terms of what she felt about apartheid because we were many years after that. But what I began to see was here was a time when something, I don't know if some of you are familiar with the book, The Olive Schreiner Reader, Track by the side of the road or something like that, by Dr. Howard Thurman. And in that book, he talks about two people who were trying to build um, a path through a big mountain. And he said they started at one point when one was on one side and one was on the other. And they were they kept working at it. But many years went by and they still weren't there. But at some point, they began to be encouraged because they heard the axe of the other one doing the work so that they knew that tunnel would be finished. I felt that Reverend Stephanie was like the other person on the other side, building an ax toward justice, toward freedom, for toward equity. On the other side of the fence, on the other side of the world that I was on, we were doing the same work. And I told her things that I had been doing with the School of Ministry to, to develop the um, diversity and ministry and diversity uh, psych 601 class for Holmes Institute and, and others were taking the class that I was uh, teaching related to that and some other things that we were doing. But what I wanted you to know, I hope that there is something about anything that I've just said that can give you hope. Because what I'm saying is that sometimes the very thing that you're working on Sometimes the very thing that you believe needs to be come into fruition doesn't show up in the way that you thought it needed to, but if you know that spirit is at work through many people to bring forth the outcome, then we get a chance to know again about the Immaculate Conception that is taking place and the very work that Harriet Tubman was doing in freeing herself and going back and freeing others, we can be doing that work with people on the other side of the world and other locations if we continue doing the work that we're called to do right where we are, we'll know that somebody else is doing the other work to bring it all into fruition. Are you hearing me? I have one last story to tell you. (laughs) Couldn't resist this because you had her picture up on the wall. And I said, oh, they not only have my my favorite person, Harriet Tubman, but they also got Barbara Lee. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to say a little bit about Barbara Lee. But I, but I don't speak politics from the pulpit, so you need to know I'm talking about Bob, Barbara Lee, the woman, and not necessarily Barbara Lee, the politician, though we know they're one and the same. I'm not trying to convince anybody that you need to vote for her or not vote for you, her. What I'm talking about is look at the life that she's led that could give us a sense of what women in history have done and continue to do that can bring forth something greater in all of our lives, collectively. Barbara Lee, as some of you know, is a model of what it takes to move from personal poverty into national power. Barbara Lee is one who was born in El Paso, Texas, who went to a school by the Sisters of the Loreto and was uh, dedicated that were de- dedicated to promoting justice and peace in the world. And that's what they taught their elementary, middle school, and high school students. So the foundation that was laid in that particular school has been Barbara Lee's life. And so I was thrilled when I was reading uh, and being reminded that as a single mother raising two sons, and I've been there, so I understand being a single mother raising two sons, she was going to Mills College and receiving public assistance at the same time. While building a better life for her family, Barbara Lee became president of Mills College's Black Student Union And as she was president there, I did not know this, that she invited Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm to be the first African-American woman elected to Congress to come and speak at that college. I did not know that Barbara Lee had done that, but she had. And Chisholm came, and so they began to work together. Chisholm became her mentor. And I didn't know that. So she Barbara Lee received a Masters of Social Work degree at the University of California, Berkeley. And then she, after graduating, founded her own community health alliance for neighborhood growth and education, in which she had many people doing many m- mental health services. She, she joined the staff of Congressman. Ron Dollums, who went to school with me. So I knew him very well. We were at San Francisco State together. And when I moved to Washington, DC, I was among a group of people that were called Dame for Dallens, <laughs> that was in Washington, DC when I lived there. But going back to her story, um, Congresswoman Lee was first one of only a few women and persons of color to hold senior positions in Capitol Hill, we're learning. So what I enjoyed about Barbara Lee, and invite you to consider, is that she 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 penned the out-of-poverty legislation, anti-AIDS legislation, and she's been on the Appropriations Committee. I was impressed with how this woman who came from impoverished background had laid the foundation for some things to be developed in her life that gave her strength enough to support others all along the way. And so there were a couple of short stories that I want to tell you about how Barbara Lee had impacted my life and the life of my kid's father, because I would think that it would give you an example of some kind of things that any one of us could possibly do. I remember when my children's father was uh, on the faculty at Oakland High School, that um, Barbara Lee had invited some of the people on that faculty to, uh, no, I I apologize, let me scratch that. They were invited by Stanford University to attend a multicultural curriculum development education program at Stanford. So my kid's father went there, among many others. Where Barbara Lee comes in that was so impressive to me, she invited people in that group. Not that they were paying everybody's way, but a portion of it was being paid for them to go to uh, Nigeria and Ghana. And so my kid's father went on that trip. And then what I delighted in discovering is that while there, he started forming some relationships with people in Sakandi, Takarada, and they became part of the Oakland Africa sister city, the newly developed sister city at that particular time, was launched by my kid's father because of the work that Barbara Lee had done. And so I just want to make that tie in that sometimes people help you launch your own path. And what I loved about this he became such a dedicated, the kid's father, became such a dedicated person to the Oakland Africa sister cities and became much more uh, conscious of what he thought needed to be happening in his life. And I think it gives each one of us some hope because as sometimes we're supported to do something that we wanna do, he wanted to do multicultural education, that life will expand our way of being so that you and I can become the person that we want to be because we're helped along the journey. A similar thing happened with me. When I, uh, three years ago, I was uh, funded to do a program at our Centers for Spiritual Living and um, Association for Global New Thought came together and wrote some curriculum you may have a program related to it right now, but it was called SUM, S-U-M, Social Uplift Ministry. I ran the Social Uplift Ministry at what was then, what is now the Open Center for Spiritual Living for about three years. And my joy was that when I was guided to talk with some students at um, Merritt College, I went up there and while talking to these students, I find out that they were trying to support the Elihu Harris and Barbara Lee lecture series that was taking place in the Bay Area that was to help fund them. So he was working with these youth, the, 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 the youth that were in the Martin Luther King Freedom Center, and Barbara Lee and Elihu Harris were helping that happen. I'm again saying, here is another wonderful way that we don't hear about a lot but that this woman was able to help students at Merritt College who were college students to go out into the whole world, but they were traveling in different parts of the world to help uplift people who are without um, homes, people who are having some challenges with race and racism and oppression There were several other things that they were doing, and what I was loving, and the reason that I wanted to talk with you about Barbara Lee today, is that she never seems to forget what it takes to give into community so that all are expanded and anchored in a greater way of living. I think that's the potential with each one of us. That is the possibility that we can say, I may not have the same background that she had, but what of my background? Is life calling me to give right here in Oakland, right here in the broader Bay Area, right here in the nation in some way? I don't have to be a politician. I don't even have to support a politician. What I need to do is get out and do what life is calling me to be about so I can reveal the wholeness of the living spirit right where I am. That's what we're talking about. Thank you. Thank you. And it's in, within that consciousness, then, I invite you to come with me as we go into prayer. Oh, infinite spirit, we give thanks. We give thanks for our time together, for our time not only in contemplating three great women. But contemplating the way the power and the presence of the eternal life flows its magnificence through each one of us as we say yes. And even when we don't say yes, it flows anyhow. And then we get to stop and say, what am I being called to reveal? So I give thanks right now for each person that's in this very room and on this very video call. I give thanks that there is something within us that is calling us to be even more magnificent than we've ever been before, even more giving, even more sharing, more loving, and and producing more freedom for myself and others. I give thanks right here and right now that we are awakening ourselves to the inner call to be free and to free others, to love and to be just and to ensure justice. Oh, I give thanks right now for our ability to inspire, provide programs, serving community, and within our state, our nation, and the world. Oh, for this and so much more, I joyfully give thanks as I lovingly release this word unto the law, accepting here and now it is done. Peace and blessings. Thank you.